Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel ashamed of. My name is Caroline and this is Wake Up With Phlegm. <laughs> Already obsessed. <laughs> Joining me is a returning guest who is also going to be returning her design by Maglam. <laughs> Not the other. Designed by Mag. That was the most last minute prop department decision they ever. They really ran out of road by that point. <laughs> Designed by Mag. Just chucking in at the very end. Oh, she's a lamp designer. <laughs> Generally all the names like Maggie Carpenter. Yeah. Oof. Because she's, you know, works oh with my, her hands. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I feel catatonic about the fact that Richard Gears, he's a journalist, and his cat's called Italics. I just noticed that on my, my, thir- <sighs> my third rewatch of the year was last night. I'm on number three. So it's funny, this film, um, Runaway Bride, it is, we've definitely got a yen on this podcast for the noble failures of Julia Roberts. Yeah. Of which they are the most interesting films of her her body of work to me. Like, I love Erin Brockovich. I love her big, meaty work. But the stuff I get more interested in is, like, when the woman who can do no wrong mm. miss, misfires slightly. Mm. I find it fascinating. The other one we covered here was Mona Lisa's Smile, mm. which I adore. Yes. But is laggy and weird. Yeah. <laughs> and like, there are some fucking weird performances and weird choices, but I still love it. And Runaway Bride is um, laggy as hell. Yeah. Weird choices. Mm. Um, feels very, what's well, not formulaic, but, you know, just very... Premacy. Very premacy. That's it's the word for premacy. it. And yet I love it so much. Same. And when I found out you loved it as well, I was like, oh, this is one of the reasons why. I think it's one of the great. <laughs> it's one of the I great. way prefer it to Pretty Woman. Me controversially. too. Yeah. And actually, I think we, Caroline and I, have gone so hard in on working out, like, what is it that makes this film in at moments incredible, but overall, like, yeah. quite terrible. And I think the characters are rock solid yeah. some of the motivations of the characters aren't rock solid which we will return to mm. namely Maggie and her commitment phobia yeah. but I like those characters of that Americana world mm. they feel believable to me that journalist feels believable to me I think the premise is great about a woman who keeps bolting from yeah. commitment the problem is plot and pacing it's pacing and it's such um, it's such, such an indefinable thing when we were doing the and just like that podcasts we talked a lot about steps on the stairs and yeah. what happens when it, when there are too many missing steps and you can't make get your way all the way up the stairs and the the idea of like missing hard drives and just like that feeling that and I find it so um I don't know something so fundamentally a part of the human experience in that we have been telling each other stories it's like like since we could speak mm. like even pre language we've been telling people's stories telling each other's stories and like the idea that there 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 comes a feeling when you are watching a film or reading a book where you're like 
no. Yes. There's a no yeah. that comes upon the human soul that yeah. is universal and there are professions, including this one, yes. based on like pivoting on the fact where did where did the no happen? You exactly. Know? Yeah. That and you get I still get it like even though how long is this movie? It's two hours long. Yeah. It feels so long. It feels so long. And we basically think the first hour is perfect, don't we? Yeah, a perfect rom-com that could easily slot into like one of the great sort of Nora Ephron-y type things. The script is beautiful. The performance is beautiful. That town is wonderful to just sit and live in. Yeah, although and- you won't go visit it with me. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> I'm so glad we're finally having this out. Because it got really spicy back there a few months ago. We were talking about this. Anyway, we'll return. It did. I actually regret some things I said. Okay, we'll, so return, we'll, we'll to return to it. Um, yes, but- the town is lovely. The precinct is lovely. Yeah. But the then- people are believable. Even the whole setup, like, I have to say, I know it's kind of corny, but I love the journalist desperately looking for a story. Yeah. I think he writes a daily column, we're meant to believe. And that is such a thing that we all understand of what is it to keep finding inspiration when you're not writing about yourself and you're and you're writing about yeah. other people. I like him being in a dive bar and some like drunk guy with a story giving him the story. It's corny as hell and I love it. But also it's it feels very real and very that place in time. And like yeah. I think as you know I would struggle to call both of us journalists now, but we certainly... I don't, I don't think I could ever call I myself know. a journalist. Like, it's it's quite silly. I've got to take that off all my bios. Yeah, I, I, I dropped journalist. it as well. Just because, yeah, because I, I think you, both you and I, when we were writing for like either paper, I mean, you still write for a magazine weekly for with an agony ad column, but like... Um, when we were both doing a lot of like digital content. 800 words on the pros and cons of wearing gloves. <laughs> Thank you, the debrief. Like, if somebody... I'm, there are many other people that follow that career directory and I'm sure they call themselves journalists and yeah. they're fine with it and they feel totally legitimate that it all has a place in the great you know, sanctum of the written word. But when I was doing it, I felt very weird about calling myself a yes. journalist. But we find it very, very romantic, that thing of like, yeah, but just being, being in a bar and the idea that like there was a time, there was a version of New York not so mm. long ago, but is now mm. definitely dead, where like, you know, they cut the string off the top of the yeah. of the pile of papers and they throw them out and New York is waking up and the sunlight's coming up and people are going to work and people are working hard and they're reading their paper and they're flipping it out. And, you know, it's, it makes me so horny, that it montage. It so horny for the written I words. I love it. That, that thing of like, Cosmo Landersman, who wrote my dating column with me, who's in his 60s and he's been a journalist since he was in his 20s, I sometimes get him to talk to me about what Mm. that golden era of journalism was like and he said it was like you know that bit in the montage of um runaway bride where Mm. the guys it's so exciting ike's column is so exciting that the guys printing it (laughs) are like (laughs) are taking it off the machine like hot like a bun (laughs) and he said it was like that he said that it felt like a newspaper a good newspaper or magazine column when it came out felt like a pop record coming out and everyone rushing Mm. to the record store and there is something about that that guy, and particularly, I really like everyone reading his column. That mm. that kind of city being alike with his unbelievably misogynistic column yeah. that opens the whole. That now, even though the excitement and the physicality of like, oh, the city is awake and they're all reading, like, oh no, it's I, I can. It's very familiar. It. Yeah, it's so familiar now. Like the behavior is different in terms of now. It's people just reading an article on their phone if if they can get past the paywall or not and uh, then tweeting about it or whatever but yeah. the, the the journalism and the prose is shockingly familiar yeah totally yeah. 
I kind of felt like it was a bit Jeremy Clarkson. Yeah, it's kind. Yeah, that's what I felt. It's like kind of this weird spot between Giles Corrin and Jeremy Clarkson. Yeah, of just like a guy who doesn't know a lot but has a certain sort of turn of phrase that people um, respond to rightly or wrongly and can cloak his misogyny in this kind of like cerebral mythological allegory that is like you know biting caustic humour really familiar I think and like more popular now than ever oddly and it's so funny because um, I think rom-coms of this era are obsessed with journalists because for many reasons um, mostly that uh, they're just an easy way to get someone in and out of a situation. Why do we need to put this fish out of water? Because they're working on a story. It's yeah. the uh, how to lose a guy in 10 days, the, oh, it was all for some article the whole time kind of thing. It's really lovely. Um, but generally, the the prose itself is not recognisable. Mm. It'll, it'll be like that great sort of rom-com convention of like, when I started writing this article... <laughs> It was to discover blah, 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 blah. But I ended up discovering myself. And then you'll see all these women in... Wow. (laughs) I always think about the 13 going on 30 um, denouement where Jennifer Gardner, she... Does this big pitch? Oh, the revamp. The, the revamp yeah. pitch to her like very shiny fashion magazine she works as like, what if the magazine was about us? <laughs> and just pictures of all of them. And I was like, this is not it. And she's been working on it for weeks. <laughs> I would love to know, like, of my journalism masters that I did, I would have done that in 2009, so as definite millennial child of the 90s. Yeah. I would love to know if these rom-coms... <laughs> <laughs> that are based in magazine offices and newspaper offices. Yeah. I wonder how much, if they didn't exist, how fewer people would have been on that master's course. Do you know what? They're, and the thing is, the right people would have become journalists instead <laughs> of people the wrong like ones, you and I. Like you and I, who were just using it as like, a, who don't love the news. <laughs> Who crucially don't love the news, who don't care about the truth, and who are so-so about justice. We don't care about the truth. We just wanted a platform to launch our own Carrie Bradshaw's life, and I think we did pretty well. (laughs) We did it, baby. Here we are, hard-hitting reporters. (laughs) This is already very wrong. Anyway, so Ike, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's believable. I agree with you. Yeah, so, so that, even that the like, even the like, um, even that like depressing old Miles Davis obsession and the oh god, the cat called italics, the cat called italics. That he like, he's a familiar journalistic figure to me. If he yeah. were in real life, he would have a cocaine problem. Yeah, if he wasn't in like a rated twelve rom oh, com, he'd have a massive cocaine problem and like a permanently open tab at the Groucho. He's so familiar to me, that yeah. journalist. Yeah, totally. Even like the kind of the cool boy vice journalist that you meet every so often in London life, he, there's a kind of a strain of that still present. Yeah. There's like, there's something, the, the, the male opinion columnist who so probably also feels like he should be a political reporter and should care about the news, but crucially does not. <laughs> Ike does not care it's about the news. It's the male Carrie Bradshaw, really. It's like, yes, what does that totally. look like? It looks like Ike going to a dive bar in the middle of the day, chatting up a girl and not going so well, and then him writing a column about it, being like, I've been accused of, you know, using this column to further female stereotypes. Mm. But how, I think the exact wording is, but how can I not deal in female stereotypes when they're all around me all the time? Like, mm. that is a Carrie Bradshaw yeah, totally. kind of intro, isn't it? Premise. And then, then this it goes, is great. <laughs> Ike is the male Carrie Bradshaw. Yeah, and it's horrible. (laughs) Also, I find it really interesting then the way that they use his job as a way to kind of reflect Maggie's 
deep wounds back to her. Like the thing that is so similar about these two characters that we're meant to believe by the end is that they're both terrified of being vulnerable. Mm. So with Maggie, it's like she has this thing about she won't commit to someone because, in my opinion, she can't kind of commit to herself and the version of herself that she can make peace with. Whereas with him, when she does that speech... She's working very hard with quite a poor script at that point. I yeah, think that yeah. speech the wheels about, have come off that script. That's when it yeah. after that party. I think that's when it starts getting a bit off the Hawaiian party. Yeah, that's it, when it, it's weird because the the luau is the best part of the movie. Yeah, and everything after that is basically trash. Yeah, it could almost end at him defending her. Yeah, <laughs> it's good role. Yeah, and she could fuck off. Without anyone, and that would have been perfect. Yeah. But that she gives that speech, and she says to him, "You know, I'm not the only one that's lost." And something she says is, which is often um, something targeted at journalists, particularly that type of journalist. Is she said, "I've read all your columns, and you don't talk about yourself at all. Yeah. So you have defaulted to cynicism." and criticism and you have made your personality and your livelihood out of tearing other people down and making fun of people because you're so scared of actually presenting who you are to the world so i think it i think it's believable that that's their like shared core wound yeah. that they don't want to be themselves basically i think that's really smart yeah and like way smarter than the average good rom-com do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if we think of like you, you said Pretty Woman a minute ago, and obviously that is a natural comparison because this was you know five or six years after Pretty Woman, but it was like what everyone was excited about seeing mm. these two actors get back together. It was amazing chemistry, um, and also we'll get to in a little while the sense of Julia Roberts's own love life had been such a thing of public speculation. She had famously jilted Kiefer Sutherland three days before their wedding. Um, and yeah, and it's like you look at a, a quote unquote good rom com like mm. Pretty Woman, where all of the parts are in place. Mm. How whatever you think about its treatment of sex work, you can't sort of, and it is a very judgmental film about that, and very narrow. Um, it, you can't deny that it's just fucking fun, and it just mm. works, and it's sexy, and yeah, but like it's not saying anything no, about life, about women, about men. It is, no. a, it is a simple Cinderella story with sort of a 90s LA twist. Yeah. But this is a movie that is trying to say things about, mm. about people and how people are, mm. and which is why I find it to be such a noble failure. Because you're right, it, it, like identifying in a kind of a very popcorn-y rom-com that like the, the, two core, the core wound in our two main characters is that they are do not know who they are. Yeah. They do, and that is a very hard thing to put on screen in a yeah, very basic yeah, rom-com. Totally. And it struggles with it. And the also the other thing is that like this thing it routinely comes back to, which is like, why does she bolt? Why does she bolt? And it's what he sort of like gets to in his investigation of her is she is somebody who is so lacking in identity that they just merge with whoever they're with. Yeah. And also this thing of like they're so that character is so lovable, so mysterious, so sexy, so everything that you want a woman to be, that women want to be, that men want to be with, that they're, they could have a power that is intangible even to themselves. Mm. Like they're able to come alive with people, but they're not able to make their own life come alive. Yes, and exactly. And tragic and beautiful about that. And something that's so fluid about that, that you feel yeah. like Maggie could make anyone fall in love with her, yeah. which does not mean being lovable. 
Yeah. That doesn't, if, you, if you're someone who you know that you can say the right things or do the right things or, you know, wear the right clothes and that people will be drawn to you, that isn't having this like core understanding like her best yeah. friend, the Joan Cusack character, like that someone deeply knows and loves you. Yeah. So it can, those, I think that character is like deeply insecure despite being the person that everyone wants to be friends with and everyone wants to marry. Interestingly, something that you said to me about like the, the thing that you think is like the key to that character and the key to the whole story yeah. about like why does she run why does she run is um the thing about like she doesn't know who she is and that's yeah. d- demonstrated with the eggs every yeah. person she's with she wants a different type of eggs so today i read yeah that and you said they're so near like really exploring that and yeah. paying that off properly with the plot yeah. rather than the way they do it with the with the wedding that doesn't happen and then mm. the proposal interestingly yeah that was written in afterwards so they wrote oh. that entire script and that film on the premise of she runs yeah and no one knew why so that was drafted in of like oh we need to work out why this the women yeah. on screen need to have yeah. psychology guess what they wrote that in as a last minute amendment wow which is why it feels like it's so near brilliance but so unexplored so this is it to, yeah to get back to to get into that it's um yeah, she so she she wants scrambled eggs with one guy. She wants poached with another guy. She wants whatever. She wants an egg white only omelette with her weird fitness man. Um, and then he has this confrontation with her, and he she just kind of says, "You don't know who you are. You're just you know." She says, "There's such a thing as changing your mind," and he said, "No, that's a, that's having no mind at all." Yeah, and it's it's like a very charged scene, and we'll talk about it a bit more when we kind of get chronologically through it. But then, and you're like, oh my God, this film is on the edge of like really understanding something about women and the way we gamify romance to ourselves. Yes. And the way we like, in order to get swept up into our own narrative and to to do the things that are equate to winning in female culture, yes. to have someone fall in love with you, to have them propose to you, to have a wedding in front of all of your friends, which is basically what she's doing. Like she's a scholarship kid who never got to take the scholarship because she had to look after her dad. And now she's using romance as sort of a way of like underlining her own existence or like verifying her own existence. It's like, oh my God, you're, you've got something there. Yeah. You've got something. And then it pulls back and he's like, you deserve a man. <laughs> Who will cover your eyes while you walk on the beach so you can feel the sand under your feet? And she's like, wow. It's like, no, nothing sand, nothing ice. I hate no. that. Bit. No, no, no. It doesn't help that Richard Gere just leaves me dry as a bone, I must say. <laughs> I don't get, I don't, really? all those characters he plays. Do you fancy Ike? I don't not fancy him. In the same way, I don't not fancy fancy Matthew McConaughey in all of his rom-com roles, but I'm glad to see him in, I guess. But you know? Matthew McConaughey's like a bit up of bit of get up and go. Yeah. There's something about Richie Gere in all of his performances that I find so depressing and low-key. When he does that speech about the walking on the beach, I'm yeah. like, oh, it sounds like a funeral dirge. Yeah, when he's being romantic and sincere. Yeah. He's good when he's a slimy character, but when he's trying to do sort of romantic sincerity, it does not work. Doesn't work for me. Doesn't yeah. do it for me. You should. It should be the kind of guy that you fall in love with because he's a bit of an arse and you sort of love yeah. that about him rather than. And here's my soft inner. Side. No, I think in rom coms she's that she's having to work her arse off to bring all that romance yeah. and magic. So I just personally don't think he does. 
But anyway, yeah. yes, you're right that that speech, it feels like totally counterproductive <laughs> yeah. yeah. to the fundamental point that's just been made. Yes. And like what I so so to go back to sort of like chronologically go through the movie, he writes this thing about her and then she you know, meanwhile in her small town, um first she thinks it's like a joke that's mm. been like planned by her bridesmaids like a fake newspaper, which I find very heartbreaking. And then um and then she's so angry that she writes a letter to the editor and um it's re- it's a really well done bit of you know a furious actress typing and writing yeah um uh of being like you know you know i would i would have thought that facts were important you know here are some mistakes i've there are 15 and then they fire him based on um not not checking his facts yeah. which doesn't feel <laughs> huge celebrity columnist who everyone's excited about disgraced by one letter to the editor from someone that no one knows <laughs> All right. Okay. Fine. Movies. Um, (laughs) He then is like, oh, well, I'll do a massive investigatory feature on her. I'll go to her hometown. I'll talk to everybody she knows. Mm. And this is another fascinating part of the movie for me, because I think this is the point where it becomes like a psychological horror. Yeah. 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 When you said that to me, when we first started talking about this. Yeah. It. It, it suddenly I saw the film in such a different way yeah. through her eyes. It's an exploration of like negative parasocial relationships before yeah. pre-internet. And anyone who's ever had like, I've experienced this, it's very, very strange. When you feel like there are people that you don't know who are obsessed with you in a negative way, fixated on you, yeah. that they hate you, they have an idea of like who you are or what you represent or what your story is and they've never met you. And they're not like you know, misogynist trolls telling you that you're a fat slut or whatever, which is horrible in its own way. But this is like a particularly chilling thing. Like a thinking person. like A, a thinking person who you would otherwise like respect mm-hmm. and listen to. And they, and they, and they can't, they, it feels like they cannot stop thinking about you. And you yeah. don't know where this like, their pursuit of like, bringing you down or trying to um, trying to trying to expose something about you whatever that, mm. that it's relentless it's so frightening and horrible and weird mm. um i'm lucky that it hasn't happened to me that much but it has and you've had to like you know watch me go through that and yeah. you said to me there was one particular person you said imagine if they moved to your hometown yeah befriended everyone you loved and convinced everyone you loved that they they were a really good person it's hard, and that it's is horrifying. why I when I because I've always liked this movie, but I hadn't seen it in years. And then I threw it; it came on Disney Plus. I threw it on some hungover morning, um, and that is like after seeing, yeah, seeing people who would, you would otherwise think would be thinking people come after one of my best friends mm. in in a like a relentless and sort of almost like pseudo intellectual way yeah. of like let's really think about the problem with Dolly. <laughs> <laughs> She's not go- She's not doing anything. She's writing about gloves. <laughs> <laughs> and and like you're having to like see like one of the people you love best in the world like go through that kind of onslaught. Mm. Then the I hope this isn't this is very exposing for you. <laughs> no, I don't mind actually. Um and then and then I watched it and I was like, imagine, imagine if that person showed up and somehow mm. convinced everyone that Dolly knows and grew up with yeah. and her parents yeah. and her grandma <laughs> that that 
that like actually you know he's, he's like he's a really like nice guy to have around yeah fun fun dude and like and it begins with everyone's like oh Maggie he you know just like give him what he wants and he'll go away yeah kind of thing and then he just ingratiated he's going to sports games he's like play he's like jamming with people and like gaining their trust that's the and thing that I think trust. is really frightening is that he's gaining he's gaining their trust and he's accessing the interior and intimate life yeah. of, of his it's like he it's like an assailant you know it's like that, that it's like so it's yeah. it, it's like it's like he is gaining as much information and proximity and closeness as possible to his victim and actually after you said that i looked up what the rules cuz i've obviously never written psychological <laughs> horror yeah psychological thrillers I looked at what the rules of those like the fundamental pillars of those what makes something are. a psychological thriller right. yeah and it's um, a lovable but flawed uh, hero or heroine yeah which is who Maggie is yeah it is a um, likeable villain a complicated yeah. likeable villain it is um, a palpable threat which is obviously the threat I think is that he's going to ruin this wedding. That's what it feels yeah, like that this yeah. wedding is not going to happen. And he's also he's trying to get in her head. Like he's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's trying. Like he's everything she does. She's questioning. She's making her. He's making her question how she is with her friends. Yeah, how she is with her friends' husbands. How mm. she is with her family. Why is she here? And it's like he, he and like. There's a, her fiance kind of says to her like, oh, he's just trying to get in your head. But like the fact, like, why is no one listening to yeah, her? It is horrible, you know. And then there's and then the other rule is that there has to be obviously an enormous twist. And the enormous twist is she, she befriends her assassin. She falls yeah. in love with her assassin. Like, yeah, that's the big twist. I do think that there is something quite horrifying about this film. Yeah. That bit when he has the naked photograph of her. That's very. That does not hold up. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, many things don't hold up. And that, and that's why it's like, it, its status as a noble failure is much more interesting and exciting to me than anything that, like a slick piece of machinery that just works. Yeah. Um. The, yeah, he, go, he basically goes and he questions all of her exes, which like, imagine. Mm. <laughs> imagine. Someone who has, ha, who has assassinated you once in the press mm. with no research and then plans to research it mm. for a second piece in which they assassinate you again. Um, then talking to all of your exes. It's so strange. It's so... I always remember listening to um, an interview with Dawn French, I think yeah. it was, where she said the only reason why she had to start talking about her personal life yeah. was that um, a biographer started writing a book about her. So this is something yeah. that anyone can do, that no permission needs to yeah. be sought. Yeah. So like, this is what he's doing in journalistic form. Because as we know, what's that phrase he says? Journalism is literature in a hurry. But he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's writing a biography of this woman yeah. without her consent. And it's yeah. like something that happens. Imagine that happening to you. It really scares me. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. But it's it, it's interesting the sort of meta conversation of this film, um, which is so in the nineties, Julia Roberts is like a climb to fame, incredibly swift. Like mm. literally, she she leaves school at seventeen. She goes directly to New York to be mm. an actor. She um very quickly gets Mystic Pizza which is like this huge breakout and then you know there's like th one two three roles kind of thing that just kind of 
in about two years, by the time she's like 21, 22, makes her the most famous woman in mm. the world. Mm. Um, she is engaged to the actor Dermot Mulrooney, I think. Yes. Breaks it off after a year or so. You'll give her that, you know. She's 22. Who cares? Then she gets engaged to Kiefer Sutherland. Then, uh, several weeks before their wedding, he is caught photographed with a go-go dancer. Mm. And that's a bit... And it becomes poor Julia, poor Julia, poor Julia. Then, a week before the wedding, she is apparently at, like, a girl's spa. In, um, like, a girl's spa weekend type thing. That Did she cancel it at the spa? Well, then... His... Those birds would have drunk wine, gotten her I in. I know. So <laughs> then... Jason Patrick, who was Kiefer Sutherland's best man, suddenly shows up at the spa weekend. This is insane! I know, I know, I couldn't believe it. Because like, I think this happened like 92, so we would have been too young to like yeah. obviously have known the press at that time. And it's it's it, this, the sort of life of Julie Roberts has gone on so much that we never really talk about this anymore. So Jason Patrick, who is an up and coming actor and the best friend and best man of Kiefer Sutherland, shows up at the spa weekend um, where she's really upset still because of the... Kiefer Sutherland cheating on her, whatever. And then three days before the wedding, press release comes out, they're cancelling the wedding. By the way, they were going to get married on the Fox lot. That's so bizarre. I know. And her 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 maid of honour was her makeup artist. Her bridesmaid yeah, was her oh, agent. Bless her, that's such a young, famous person story. I know, I know. God love her, like. God love her. But then the story became Julia Boltz. Mm. Julia Bolts, mm. and then she um, then went to Dublin, which I like, um, with Jason Patrick. <laughs> you know every beat of this story. Like, I literally day to day. <laughs> Actually, I'm getting all this from the um, the Shameless podcast, right? Which is these two Australian birds who are very yeah, nice. I love them. Yeah, uh, really good. Um, but uh, yeah, so then they 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 kind of have a very short lived romance together, and then quickly she moves on and. Whatever. Um, but the story so quickly became Julia Bolts. Julia Bolts. Why is Julia Bolting two engagements? One called off three days before the wedding. Mm. But it's like, and, and kind of papers over the fact that Kiefer Sutherland cheated on her with yeah. the dancer. Yeah, and that was yeah. the original story. Yes. Um, and so what I find so interesting about Runaway Bride is that it happens a couple of years after that. And it's in active conversation with a story about Julia that was already happening at the time. I think after the Kiefer Sutherland Jason Patrick thing, there was also, you know, a very short wedding to love it. And it's like, everyone was like, this is the most beautiful, charming girl in the world. Yeah. And every time you see her on screen, she has this ineffable quality where you you feel like, and this is the magic of her, you feel like you're, you're watching the core of her. You know, mm. you, there's this like stillness and this like, naturalness that mm. you can so it's just good skill but you can so easily mistake for I see her and I get her yeah totally and the fact that she was doing things that no one could get just made this weird mystery around her that plays right into the mystery of Maggie I, I didn't know all that I knew that she had that she had you know cancelled a wedding very shortly before but I do think that there is no way that that not, is not some sort of like retort or exploration yeah. or like and I do find it very chic when actors do that. I love it. And sometimes it... Rather than sitting and doing some like poor me interview, I just think yeah. that that's like such a fabulous way of saying, by the way, I'm much more self-aware than you think I am. Yes. Exa- and you know what? It's it's rarely received well. Because the other version I'm thinking about is um, the Jennifer Aniston making the breakup. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie. 
I really like it too. And it's another like weird noble failure. Like, yeah. It doesn't really work. It feels fucking long. Yeah. But there are scenes in it that you're like, wow, this is um this is like this actor talking directly to me oh, about definitely. their experience. You definitely. Know? It's so strange as well to think that she Julia Roberts was thirty two when she did this movie. And I remember very clearly when it was out. It's in the cinemas as it being the horrible poster of her with the runners <laughs> with on the big trainers I hate them the big clumpy trainers um, that this was her comeback this was like a comeback movie oh my god isn't that crazy do you mean that younger than me her comeback and now it's like regarded as this this funny little blip in like a huge career yeah I wish every actress could have that career do you know what I mean when I think of like you know the Winona writers of this world who mm. who gave the world so much in such a short amount of time mm. and then she stole a few bags and yeah. then I was like, no thank you, yeah. for, forever, thank you for your service, goodbye. <laughs> like, you know, it just it just makes you think how few actresses are given that longevity and that totally. chance. You know? It's interesting that thing you said about the Julia Roberts quality because something I didn't really fixate on what that thing she's just so a part of like rom-com furniture to me and I just it feels like comfortable to watch her and she's Mm. gorgeous and she's sweet and funny and whatever but there is a a one in a million magic with her I think I think Meg Ryan has it as well of like when we were casting my TV show and we were looking for the lead actor I remember China my director because she was so hard to find that actor we cast Emma Appleton in the end I remember China we had to have so many meetings with all the networks and China kept saying we need to find someone with a Julia Roberts quality, which yeah. is like someone who makes you fall in love with her with like a big smile, who is, a, you know, attractive enough to like yeah. lead a TV show in the world that we live in, but who has like a quality to her that is just adorable, lovable yeah. and not cloying and not annoying. And she is never annoying. Julia Roberts yeah. plays fucking annoying characters and she's never annoying. It's, it is this weird gold dust, isn't it? And like, I actually, I thought about your show a lot when I was rewatching it again last night. Obviously, the the name of the character is was that intentional? No, just no. Ma- Maggie is like I know, I know. Monica and I've discussed this. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, Monica Icy's book, um, really good actually. The heroine is Maggie. Yeah, your heroine is Maggie. This heroine. There's something about that name. I know. And I, it, it it's it's funny because it's like um. It communicates a lot about a person. Um, and I'm always fascinated by character names in general. It's like somebody who whose long name is definitely Margaret. Yeah. And so therefore comes from a kind of a suburban, um, probably quite middle class, yes. old fashioned world who is friendly and soft and is called Maggie, but also is like dynamic enough to go by a short thing. You know, there's like something yeah. in it. You know? Anything that ends with an E, I think is always really yeah. like gives you it's it's like it gives you warm feelings towards that character i always particularly in ensembles even in books i'm thinking about yeah. how many e's there are but monica and i <laughs> this may be too inside baseball but monica and i have already decided that there needs to be one more story with a millennial woman called maggie whose life is falling apart and there's going to be some horrible opinion <laughs> <laughs> the title of which we've decided will be What's Wrong with All the Maggies? Or so, What's the Matter with Maggie? What's and, the Matter with and Maggie? And we are all going to be happening. bent the fuck over. Oh. <laughs> It's going to be I'm somewhere really just, improbable, like the new state. I know. I'm just, I'm just waiting for it. I'm ready for it. What's happening with Maggie? What's wrong with Maggie? 
what's wrong with Matt? They'll have a cut out of Emma Appleton in that brown jacket. <laughs> what's the matter with Maggie? What's the matter with Maggie? It's interesting as well that like one of our favourite scenes of Runaway Bride mm-hmm. is Joan Cusack. I can't even remember. I mean, that says everything that I can't even remember what the best Peggy friend. Fleming, not the ice Peggy. Skater. Yeah. That Peggy, when Peggy says to um, Maggie, mm. Maggie, sorry, when... Ike gets in Maggie's head and says, yeah. you're inappropriate with your best friend's I love, husband. I love that whole section of the movie. It's so powerful. Yeah. And there's this bit where I think it's so believable in friendships where you've grown up forever that there are, in every really, really long-term friendship, I think yeah. there is just one thing you accept about that person. And yeah. you you know, you know, speak to other friends or you do therapy or whatever. You yeah. do whatever you have to do that means that you never confront, bring it to them and you never confront them because it's so a fundamental part of who they are and the examples of how much it has hurt you or annoyed you since you were 11 years old is so extensive and expansive. How do you even begin mm. to go back to the beginning of that? Yeah. So you know when she says, when Maggie finally has this realisation that like perhaps she is inappropriate the way with the way she relates to men and her 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 friend's partner she says do you think that I flirt with Corey and she there's this like serenity where she's like yeah you do and it's like hurtful but you don't mean to hurt me and I understand I just think it's such a believable it's long friendship so perfect confrontation I remember so clearly when I was watching that, it's like hungover on a Saturday, whatever, and being like, oh, I'll throw on this 90s movie that I have like warm feelings towards. And like, ah, yeah, we've got the journalist and he's a bit creepy. He's falling right down. And then that scene between those two women. And it's like, I, was, I remember watching it the whole time. Like, oh, I'm afraid they're going to cut it off soon. Like, yeah. Because generally scenes like that have to be so short. No, it's really slow and It's beautiful. so slow. And they're just in the closed hairdresser yeah. and just sitting in the chairs and having this real conversation about like, yeah, what a really long friendship with somebody who looks like Julia Roberts yeah. feels like. Yeah, you feel the pain of her so much yeah. from Peggy. when, But she loves her so yeah. much. yeah. And you know she's just made her peace with it. This is who my yeah. friend is. This is how men feel about her. And actually, it's kind of a conversation with the casting because as we've just said, yeah. what is this quality about Julia Roberts yeah. that makes her that makes her literally like fortify movies, hold up entire mm. movies? That's kind of the conversation they have in their in the hairdresser. Yeah, and she says there is something about you that you know I I can't ever emulate. Yeah, and she says you're you know you're quirky, and what does she say? She says you're quirky and I'm just weird, or yeah, you're yeah. the things that you pull off as being like mysterious and effortless. On me, your dorky best friend Peggy yeah. is is strange and unbecoming. Yeah, oh, it's, it's so heartbreaking. It's really hot, but it's like it's the way that Joan Cusack delivers it. Mm. It's just so good. It's just like you can tell this woman has just like made her peace with it. Yeah. There was probably a period 10 years ago where she was talking about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like like what like... the fuck was Maggie like as a bridesmaid at that wedding? Oh my God, what a the nightmare. fuck was she like? <laughs> but that speech went on forever. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> I like, she's like, I, I you know, I, I, like, I think you're a mystery to you. Yeah, is something yeah. she says, and I think you have all this sort of like energy that just like floods out on anything male that moves. And then, great line, uh, Julia is like, "Oh, as opposed to things, as opposed to men who can't move." And Turkey's <laughs> like, "Well, certain kinds of coral, you know." <laughs> but it's interesting as well, like 
I think we all have women in our lives who that is how they relate to men. Yeah. And they don't, they're not aware that that's how they relate to men. Yeah. But the, the only way they know how to connect with someone of the opposite sex is by knowing on some level deep, deep down that that person wants to fuck them. And it's not manipulative. And as, as, as Peggy says, like Maggie's not even aware of it. No. But it's like... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's, it's so... And she says to her in this really compassionate way, like, it, it doesn't annoy me, but, like, I want you to know what real commitment is and really being known by someone and really yeah. knowing them like rather than having this like like spreading your attention so thinly across things to feel this like you know omnipresent attraction from everyone and there's Maggie in the room with us right now. <laughs> why do I look like Joan Cusack but I've got Maggie's problems <laughs> you're my Julia Roberts <laughs> Things that you do that are mysterious and wonderful are fucking weird on me. Which- <laughs> I love you. That's so not true. But I love you. I mean, I do you know what I do think. I've always been really interested by that character, and something that I am really interested in her is that like commitment phobia thing because yeah. that's something that I've like spent the pounds in Theza talking about over the. <laughs> Did you say spent the pounds in Theza in relation to your going to therapy? I've made it rain Spend in the pounds in Thesla. I've made it rain in Thesla talking about commitment <laughs> oh, Actually, I have a thing. Yeah, this is. Um, I've never told you this. Go on. This is a new one. Might cut it out. Might leave it in. Who knows? Go on. Um, we're being incredibly. <laughs> I don't care. Do you know why I don't care? I don't. I don't think a lot of people are going to listen to this one because most people don't like this film. So I'm just like ready to tell everyone everything. Yeah. Go yeah, on. Exactly. Tell me. Um, um, this is in relation to how you are the Maggie of my life. Um, which is I was having a coffee with someone we both know yeah Um, actually you know her Um, that girl Victoria who lives near me oh yeah we had a coffee she's lovely hello Victoria if you're listening yeah and we were talking about like she's known you for years and she was like she has something about Dolly just she's always in these like really magical situations and I can't really account for it and I was like I know it would be annoying if she wasn't so great <laughs> and then um, and then I remember saying I was try- I was like trying to piece it together in real time I was like I think she just sees the world as being very magical and then it sort of behaves that way to her 
And it's like an optimism that is mirrored back and it's it's kind of amazing. And she was like, yeah, that kind of, yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I thought you were going to say, you know, she does exaggerate stories. <laughs> That's a lovely thing to say. That's a nice way to spin yeah. it. No, you don't think it is lovely. I no, take that as no, a great compliment. No, it's like, I'm just feel embarrassed for telling you now. No, no, <laughs> I think that's. I mean, yeah, I think I think the thing that's so interesting with like someone who someone who's like constantly looking for new stories and new versions of themselves that they can be mm. is it is going back to Maggie Carpenter. I think the problem is that she there's something like commitment phobia is such an interesting thing i think people wrongly mm. think that it's it's being terrified of intimacy i mm. think they're all like being terrified of being hurt i do think that is there is an element of that or being terrified of just like missing out on opportunities yes i think and that, fun. that's the the chief thing is people like you just don't want to like yeah um close the door and any new opportunities yeah and therefore it's that sylvia plath thing of letting the figs rot away on the tree yeah exactly <laughs> nearly got a bloody fig on my tattooed on me thank christ i didn't thank god <laughs> There are so many tattoos that didn't happen. Yeah. Joni Mitchell, line from Cactus Tree, while she was busy being free. No. Well, she's going to get... Never get a tattoo that could be sourced to brainyquote.com. Quora. (laughs) I put... Quora! I I wanted to have busy being free and then I decided it sounded like a WhatsApp status. (laughs) At the movies. Um, movies. But I think that there's definitely something existential about commitment phobia, which is... Maggie is someone who is multidimensional. She's kind of like a Zedek. Like she, hmm. she can make everyone fall in love with her. She can be like, she can be down with the boys. She can be one of the girls. Hmm. Old ladies think she's adorable. Everyone thinks she's adorable. Hmm. So like to commit to one person and all these different men are like archetypes, like the sporty guy, the religious guy, the rock and roll guy, all yeah. these different, oh, I have a theory about you with those guys, by the way, but oh, I'll return to you. Okay. Um, and it's like she's trying on all these different types of Maggie of who mm. she is. And actually the thing that frightens her is like to to com- she sees committing to one would mean committing to a final version of herself. Yes. And that's the thing that's over. And actually what she doesn't realise is something that you've taught me, a healthy understanding of commitment is that you are not <laughs> signing yeah. off and and handing in some final version. You're not dis- you're not frozen in amber. Yeah. As the person you are on the first date with that person, like you yeah. grow together. Yeah, that's how you get over commitment phobia. Yeah, it's the the something I always think about. Um, a Marion Keys quote where she was talking to a magazine about her her very long marriage, mm. and um, I know exactly what interview that is. Yeah, it's so, so good. good. Yeah, she's so fucking smart. Um, saying the trick to having a really long marriage, I think she's been with her partner for like twenty years or something, is that it is many little marriages. Mm. And I find exactly. that to be so true. Like I've been with Gab going on almost 10 years, you know, and I sometimes I come across an email or a WhatsApp or a letter or a birthday card that one of us gave to each other. And I look at it and I think that, oh, it's an entirely different way that we used to communicate. Mm. And that it was four years ago. Different pet names, different memes, different jokes, different, you know, style. Rituals. Rituals, different, yeah. yeah. And it just... That's how you hack it. That's how you hack it. You just keep changing and hope you change together. And yeah. sometimes you don't. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, here's my theory yeah. about all the men. Okay. So you know how we were like discussing yesterday, which is the most realistic wedding that we would have had? Like, which is one of those? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking about it. Mm. I was like, could I see Caroline with the rock star 
or the geeky bug guy, funny geeky bug guy, or the like really adoring um, man who then became a man of the cloth, Mm -hmm. or Ike. (laughs) I think you could have been with all of them. They sound like all your ex-boyfriends. Oh my God! (laughs) I feel like it's a cross-section of everyone you've ever slept with. Oh my (laughs) God. Don't you think that's true? That's so true. <laughs> like the guy who's obsessed with you is really calm and like a little bit boring. The really dangerous rock star guy. The geeky bug guy who's like funny and quirky and a bit too online. And then the like cynical writer guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're it's like right. potted history of your carnal history. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. God, I guess there's a little bit of Maggie Carpenter in all of us, <laughs> isn't there? Yeah, no, you're totally right. This is something I've like referred to on the podcast a few times before, but like definitely I was a, a real serial monogamist from a really young age and I was very like that. I think maybe that's why I've responded to this movie so much. Yeah. I do get the thing of like being like meeting someone and being fascinated by their strangeness and them being like sort of different to everyone you've ever known and yeah being a geeky bug guy or like being like a metaler or whatever yeah and being really entranced by that and also having a kind of um a writer or journalistic type brain where you just want to know everything you're like mm. tell why bugs why, mm. why? Mm. kind of thing and then slowly merging into that like i was yeah, I was thinking about this the other day where um, when I first moved here when I was 21 and, and um, very quickly got into a relationship, um, even though I don't regret the relationship because it was so lovely and I really needed it at the time, um, there was these friends that I made at that time who I was living with. I, like, it was like a quick friendship. It was like a situation where like, oh, you know, we're, we're all vaguely know each other and we need a rental house. And then we got the rental and it was lovely and they were two incredible people and I'm not in touch with them anymore mm. um, other than like following them on Instagram because I just submerged into that relationship because yeah. it was like this protective blanket over what was like a very scary and new yeah. situation yeah and I oh I even though I'm you know I don't regret anything that happened next I do wonder about that other path of like there's a world in which I am really good friends with those two people still yeah. the way they are really good friends with each other you yeah. know well, look, you'd be forgiven for it because I think the reason why it feels so recognisable in this story and it's why it's annoying that it was an afterthought rather than the thing that drove the entire fucking premise yeah. of why this woman keep running is that that being swallowed up by a relationship and a man's yeah. identity, I mean, it's so it's so instinctive and yeah. it's so culturally conditioned with women to do it. Like, I still see women do it now. I, I think yeah. I'm still prone to do it. Give me the right slash wrong man and I think I could I could totally do that again oh God, it's funny because I, I ha- don't ever feel fully Im- yeah. immunised from it from that behaviour and maybe that's good right maybe there's like a sense of like it's nice that there's a, a, a romantic left in all of us kind yeah. of thing and that you can just fall into just this world where you're you never get out of bed and you're just obsessed with each other for a bit. But but it does happen. I mean, I think like every person should be, every woman should be forgiven for that. I still get yeah. so many letters from girls saying like, my friend has become her boyfriend. Yeah. My friend has disappeared. And I'm just like, I, I'd give a fuck for like five years. I'd give her a few years. Like. <laughs> a few years? Yeah. That's so kind. Yeah. And yeah. the good ones that come back. Yeah. It's such a common thing. Luckily, you get most of it out of your way in in, in your twenties. True, 
I'm interested in that in that first round of divorces that comes around and then people have their post-divorce first relationship. Oh yeah, That'll what will that be like? Yeah. Well, we'll see. We're getting way off the film. <laughs> but <laughs> let's go back to this film. <laughs> this film that we're ostensibly here to talk about. <laughs> um, my favorite scene in the whole movie is the luau. So good. So they've been seeding that, like, you know, um, Maggie and Ike. She's sort of letting him in more. Mm. Um, because she th- if I just if I give him if I give in if I let him sort of follow me around and and answer him honestly, then I'll have more control over what happens in this story, and um, he sort of sees what her real life actually is, and her real life is is that um, you know her she was supposed to go to Princeton I think, and then she her mother died and she couldn't leave her father alone, and so you know all this untapped potential just sort of goes into this pursuing of romance, which I think again, I would love to rewrite this movie and just delve into that for a while like that is so interesting to me that's the loveliest now you've said it that is the loveliest section of the film yeah and the most like meaty is that bit when she decides to let him in yeah exactly you're so right it's so good that bit and it's because she's being treated like a source that she allows a level of vulnerability that she can't with the men in her life who are actual exactly um romantic partners and you know they have this thing where they they like go and pick up her dad who's a drunk and you know he leaves him pass out in the car and she's just you can see this thing that comes over her she's like please don't oh it's so please sad don't worry about any of this you know and it's oh it's really sad but then, um, so he's seeing her life and I, there's this world that is very, yeah, it looks idyllic, but it's flawed and people aren't very nice to her, you mm. know? And and that's the problem with when yeah. you grow up in a town and you never leave is that yeah. she, that you will always have a joke that you're the butt of. Yeah. Like Ooh. it looks so cosy from the outside, as you said, it look, they are a tight knit community, but yeah. it is claustrophobic. You, Yeah. It is definitely, um, yeah. Uh, we obviously like small the, the sweet home Alabamas or whatever like this small town life in rom-coms is something that gets returned to a lot it's very rich fodder and I yeah. think this is like a very balanced view of what it truly is like you can be around people who have loved you your whole life and love you who you are and they can also be fucking mean to you yeah. and it's claustrophobic and they're watching what you do and both of those sides feel very fairly represented um, when it gets to this part in the luau where they're going over these jokes that we've heard a million times in the movie already. It's already exhausting to us, the viewer. And where it's like, oh, Maggie may not be um, our longest running joke, but she's certainly the, the fastest. fastest. And may the pitter-patter of little feet not be Maggie's. And then uh, Ike does a toast. And I just love it so much. She says, to Maggie's friends and family, may you find yourselves forever the butt of an easy joke. Or mm. like, may your noses be forever rubbed in your mistakes kind of thing and mm. it's this interesting thing of like who, who gets to be made fun of mm. you know and it's like these are very flawed people around her you know, her dad with a drinking problem all this kind of stuff and but like that's sort of untouchable and untouched but it's okay to make fun of Maggie and it's the first time you see anyone sta- really stand up for her or stand up for anyone in a film yeah. I've never seen a rom-com where like defending a woman against the systematically terrible behaviour in yes, her life. rather than defending her like in Pretty Woman from another man's advances. Or yes, from, or from yeah. a snotty sales girl, you know? Yeah, you're so right in that, like, I remember you saying to me once about that scene, you were like, it's so, it's so powerful because it's every woman's dream and every yeah. woman's dream is not for a man I'd enjoy a bloke beating up yeah. another bloke in my honour. Yeah. i got to say, I'm still waiting for the day for that. <laughs> I don't think it happens anymore. Um, but really what you really want is you want someone 
whether it's like in difficult moments with your family or your friends or like at work you know the moments that I have felt like god it would to have a hero next to me now like a best friend to just say you do not understand her like I understand her it is like every woman's dream to have someone defend um your character rather than than your, your body or your yeah. honor or your it's, femininity or something. That's, you're right. That's what's so magic about it because it is such a played out thing of being like, oh, he, this slizzy guy is cornering the woman, and then the guy gets to have this big. Moment. Yeah, but it's so much. And like I, I've had boyfriends in the past say like that. That is every man's fantasy. It's not every woman's fantasy. It's every man's fantasy. Yeah, to sort of um, defend his girlfriend's honor. So I think its existence in culture is more to do with that mm. than to do with women. But yeah, like because I think women's characters are so constantly judged and scrutinized mm. all the time, and Julia Roberts is one of them, you know. And it's probably it was probably her fantasy, yeah. you know, like yeah, like the idea of you know that I character is not just saying it to her friends and family; they're saying it to everybody in that cinema screening hopefully yeah yeah, totally yeah this is a young woman who made mistakes but how dare you (laughs) you know did a woman write this script two women wrote this script that makes so much sense to me because we also identified that Maggie Carpenter is the first cool girl who I really want to be yes She's Very the perfect true. cool girl. In, in There are cool girls everywhere, but yeah. in stories that are mainly lensed by men. Mm-hmm. Whereas this cool girl, she is friends with all her ex-boyfriends, which is a very particularly like female cool girl yeah. desire. Mm-hmm. Um, she is like beautiful and sexy in a way that is entirely natural, never wears a scratch of makeup, always yeah. wearing big boots and big jumpers. She has loads of female friends who love her. Yes. She's a girl's girl. Yeah. First and foremost. Yeah. And that's really important. And she's like a little bit slutty, but she doesn't get in trouble for it. Yeah. That is the perfect It's cool the girl. perfect cool girl. Yeah. I can so see that a woman wrote the script. Yeah. And it, I, I like thinking about it being two women because, um, and they they both went on to be writers and executive producers of Desperate Housewives. Really? It makes sense to me. It yeah. It's like a small town cloistered thing. Yeah. Um, women's lives. Uh I like the idea of like this is my headcanon fantasy these two women who at that point hadn't done a heck of a lot um, sitting down like getting like in a, in a probably in an LA restaurant all day just keep ordering glasses and then be like alright what do you think is the deal with Julia Roberts <laughs> <laughs> what do you what do you think what do you think come on let's really think about it what do you think <laughs> can you really imagine know, us doing that because I, mean, I was about to say someone paying us like 20,000 quid that is my life in my 50s. You have just summed up exactly how I see myself spending it. Sitting with you, talking shit in a yeah. restaurant <laughs> and writing five lines on Final Draft. Um, interestingly, I remember hearing a rumour that this this story was engineered as a comeback vehicle for Richard Gere and Julie Roberts. Oh. That's not true. It was in development from 92. And the people that they had, they had so many people on board for this project. Oh, wow. At one point, they had Ellen DeGeneres. Oh. And Mel Gibson. As what? <laughs> yeah. Sandra Bullock nearly did it. Wow. You forget that before Ellen came out, there was like, she was kind of positioned as like a kind of um, TV's Meg Ryan a bit. She yeah. I mean, like I've got to say, I could blonde. I could kind of see her doing this part. Yeah. Back that then. like scrappy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't. I, I wonder how much they tailored, as you suggest, how much yeah. they tailored that script. 
well, to those to those actors when they were signed on. It also makes sense that it's po- because it was you know in development for years that there were probably several versions of the script that then got changed and bolted and. and yeah, she said no to the first time she read it. She really? Was, yeah. Yeah. Because there are just there are just scenes in it that are just so smart and so fulfilling as a mm. viewer, and then you get to. So she has a rehearsal wedding at the chapel with her Annapurna boyfriend and then she just walks down the aisle and just kisses Richard Gere. Oh, it's so bad from It's there. really bad and it just tanks. <laughs> yeah, it's like... And there's still a sizable chunk of the story left. Yeah. Which is like... Well, let's break it down because like, there are certain things that you allow in rom-com world. Yeah. Like one of them is, and it does drive me insane, but like characters being fine with their partner. You, this is your real, <laughs> you hate this. I think it's because I am so petty. And as you know, I cannot get over relationships <laughs> for many decades. Mm-hmm. Whenever I remember getting over someone a couple of years ago and watching this movie and the mountaineer guy being like, seeing Richard Gere kiss his wife the night before his wedding and he's like basically okay well you guys should get married and like storms off into a van and I remember just being like very humiliated and angered being like why why is he not upset about this I get it and then he comes to the wedding and then he comes to the wedding I get it it's like you know it's rom-com land also the like marrying someone you don't know rom-com land so this is the thing this yeah. is where it's all shonky and feels bolted together a collection of bad hard drives um, where <laughs> there's a mo- there's like a falling in love montage that happens after they decide to get married why do you hate that montage I hate it because it's yet another like chapter from is it his, is it his girlfriend or his daughter because all the things they choose to do is like him pushing her in a swing, them playing cards together and her like freaking out when she wins like she's a toddler. Like, yeah, which I referenced in the rom-com montage in my show episode seven. Sorry about was that. Was it when they went to New York? Yeah, I literally did. They put that in for that. Well, that was nice when you did it. Anyway, but I hated well, thank it. Thank you. <laughs> well, I hated it when they did it. <laughs> so. What um, else? That montage is thin. It's thin. And there's a few voicey bits where it's like, oh yeah, so I've always wanted to write a novel so I'm going to live half half the time here and half the time in New York and that's what we're doing bye and it's horrible music um, <laughs> the soundtrack of this movie is off the really? as well yeah. but when it starts with that U2 song and her riding the horse at the very beginning I hate that <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and that Miles Davis song is beautiful but it's so bum out it's so bum out that soundtrack you're so, do you know as well how much this movie they had <laughs> for it oh. 70 million which for a rom-com is like completely unprecedented oh so much money I don't really know where that money went where actors, did it go actors I suppose actors horses um, the, then um, it's like a rush thing I'm like oh now they're getting married yay and then she um, she runs from their wedding he pursues her they break up for a bit another montage so we've got two incredibly long very mm. shit montages that are poorly scored mm. within like a 10 minute <laughs> ch- ch- chunk of screen time and you're like how am I what? and then she like goes and discovers who she is tries a bunch of eggs uh, sells her design by mag lamps which are hideous the hideous lamps bouquet of light bulbs <laughs> and um, he walks around being demonstrably fine and then she shows up at his flat being like I here are my shoes yeah <laughs> and it's pants it's so pants. <laughs> it's pants! 
it's so the word for it. And also, like, there's something about something that you've got to be really careful with with pacing and with when you're telling a story on screen is um, like we all know repetition when done well makes a joke funny like rule yeah. of three you know we know that that's something that like you bring the audience with you of mm. oh we're referencing that thing again that we've yeah. got this journey we've gone on together comedically like here it is again we're anticipating it there's tension release it's funny there's like you've got to be so careful for like if you do it one too many times you're like oh the joke is boring now and we're not in yeah. on it we are bored of it and that's how I feel when she backs out of the aisle yeah for that final time I'm like no, this we're not in on this anymore. This no. is not funny. This is boring. And also, I think it's because the premise of the movie is set up with like, oh, and she runs and here's all the wedding videos and it's like interesting, but it's what got us in. It's not what should get us out. Yeah. You know, and it's like, we at that point, we've had like an hour following this girl around of like seeing who her life, what her life is, who her friends are, what her dad is, like, you know, the all this, this really quite emotionally raw for a rom-com experience of this character. And then like, oh, there she goes. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, I don't like it. Yeah. But like, and then they they get back together and then they get married again. And it's like, I understand if you have a movie called Runaway Bride that you have to, you it begs for a kind of narrative symmetry that she should be, I guess, married by the end, I suppose. But look at four weddings and a funeral. The first draft of that movie yeah. was going to be five weddings, a funeral and a honeymoon. Oh, really? Yeah. So they were going to get married and then they were, there was like an epilogue to the story of yeah. them being on honeymoon. Huh. And they correctly decided that that was not the synchronicity that was needed. Yeah. No, you're right. Like, how would you have ended this movie? How would we have ended this movie <laughs> when they give us money to rewrite it? Oh, I'd love that. Netflix are doing that a lot with rom-coms at the moment. I know. I think we could do it. <laughs> no shit. No shit. Yeah. Um, I would... Oh, God, it's so hard to find a way of not marrying. Like, Four Weddings and Funerals is actually quite an interesting parallel. Mm. I hadn't thought of that, but you're dead right, yeah. The absence of a wedding of, like at the end of like this feels like it causes too much trouble for everyone yeah how do you feel about not being married for the yeah. rest of our lives yeah. like they have to fucking pour down with fake rain like they had to do so yeah. much to make that moment feel clim climactic like yeah. they're kissing in the rain she still says I do they they like that's how you make it feel mm. like the same sort of climax earned yeah. climax as a wedding so I suppose you would have to do your own version of that. You would. You're and so I don't weird. know what that would be without entirely ripping off that ending. It, do you know what it would be? It would then be them running away together. It yeah. would have been them looking at each other at the end of the aisle. And then yeah. they both get on horseback and then they yeah, run and away. And they're both like, no, this is not. No, this is not who we are. Yeah. Let's be, That's let's a be, better yeah, ending. Yeah, let's be tearaways together. Yeah. And then you get that r amazing shot of them on the, th through the fields of the sun yeah. at the end what would you do <laughs> that score is pants <laughs> I'm really going to reuse that word a lot now it is pants <laughs> there's a horrible song what's that song? when he's sad we're like oh you made my the, the green eyes blue song do you know that song it's horrible <laughs> I don't remember any of the songs. It really stuck out this time for me. I don't know. Maybe this is my third time watching it in one year. Why can we not stop watching it? I don't know. I might watch it again tonight. 
Okay, can we talk really quickly about why you won't go to Berlin, okay. Maryland? Oh yeah, because we did. Thank you for um, a, a great disagreement in our relationship is around I found the Airbnbs. <laughs> Sorry, do you want to introduce this? No, so you go on, go on. You okay? Okay, it came from this. You wanted to go visit the town, and I said no. <laughs> Not only did I want to visit, in my head I've got a wish list, Airbnb wish, wish list of uh-huh. Berlin, Maryland uh, place. Yeah. On that main strip we could go to, yeah. we could visit all the little places. There are tours that they do, that there's like, you know, it's really commemorated there. And I thought I could do it for you as a pre-wedding present. What? I thought I could think of it. all the places we would go. We could go, all the places in the world. <laughs> but you had a very bad reaction to it. I didn't, I didn't realise that you were going to buy it as a present. I thought it would be fun because you're getting married and it's Runaway Bride. But but actually, I realised it would just be fun for me. Like, I actually just like when I was thinking about making you stand like, you know, like outside. Like the, that, that time you took me to Larry Cohen's house. You were so down in the dumps about it. <laughs> but there's something about, for me, it's like you don't. And then I found the Spice World bus yeah. on Airbnb in the Isle of Wight. And I'm let, not getting you there either. Yeah, I think I just left you unread with that one. <laughs> what is this? Because you and I both are obsessive, geeky yeah. fans, but there's this interesting strain that differs us of like, I will not feel like my love and fandom is complete until yeah. I have visited somewhere or purchased something. Yeah, and I think you should have a word with yourself. No, so uh, my thing is that, um, and I, and uh, do you know what? Do you know what I feel really bad about actually? And I've been beating myself up. The Joan Didion desk. Yeah, I do. You lost your lid at me about that. <laughs> I know. I you actually, were livid. I feel really bad about this. I'm really sorry. This is. <laughs> well, don't worry. That desk went for a lot more than five hundred quid in the end, so I didn't get it. Dolly was going to um, buy Joan Didion's writing desk in an estate sale, and I, for some reason, freaked out at her. <laughs> For reasons I don't totally understand. I do understand. And actually, I think you should make your point because I think it's very smart. Okay. The, I um, And I, it's weird if because so much of me creating this podcast in the first place is is not because I'm not a snob. I am a snob. I am a natural snob. And the, making this podcast has is, is about me going to therapy every week. This is yeah. me dismantling my own cultural snobbery. So true. I'm so, ca- so I'm so capable of it. I do it all the time. There are choices that people make in my life about and around culture that I'm like, oh, you just get a load of this <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And um, I hate myself every time I do it. I hate every single time my personality falls into cynicism or irony or holding something apart from me because I'm always happiest when I talk and feel the way I talk and feel on this podcast, which is just like jubilant, just loving things for what they are and what they bring up in me and loving those emotions. And I really hate memorabilia. I hate, <laughs> I hate memorabilia. I hate... Um, I, I'm so glad I know this about because yeah. I can so see for your like 35th birthday or like some landmark birthday, me like saving up and getting you some... The sort of thing that would make me go wild, like... yeah. I don't know, Jerry Halliwell's t-shirt or something. <laughs> I don't know. Jerry Halliwell's t-shirt. But yeah. I'm so glad I know that about you because I know to veer so far away from it now. And I, th- I think what I don't like about it is, I I think just like, this is something I texted you last night when we were having this discussion, so I'm not going to pretend like I just came up with it now. Um, I hate the 
idea that your heart and your brain isn't a big enough container yeah. for all your your love of something. Yeah. I hate the idea that someone can buy their way into and colonize loving something more because they like own Elvis's guitar. Yeah. I find that greedy. I find it like you're associating sort of love and passion with capitalism and things. And I think those yeah. two things are antithetical. Not yeah. always, obviously. I went to fucking ABBA Voyage. Do you know what I mean? I paid seventy well, quid to go to have a voyage. I know. I, I know. Love st- I love engaging with the past in that way, but you know. I note with interest that Caroline and I are talking about a potential New York trip together soon, yeah. and I note with interest that this big theory of yours does not extend to the Sex in the City open top bus tour, which you seem very excited to go on. Yeah, that feels different somehow. <laughs> You're not going to chicken out on that on ethical grounds. Don't make no. me go on that on my own. No, no, no. That's it. Because you know what that is? That's a day out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a bloody day out, you know. Yeah. But we won't be staying in the Carrie Bradshaw apartment. That was too much even for me. No, yeah. I don't like that. Like, yeah. I don't like that at all. And do you know what's the worst about that? I think Airbnb have basically done that as a as a press thing. And, I, and, that, and that's, again, it's like, I don't like the love and emotion and, and, and truly having a relationship with a piece of art that brings up things in yourself and then being like oh and now Airbnb has remade Carrie's apartment sort of like shelf for shelf and it's like no that's, that's wrong yeah yeah <laughs> it exists in my brain okay so pre-wedding present I'm going to find something else other than us going to Berlin to be fair I do think we'd get no, we there we go to Berlin Germany <laughs> I do think we'd get there and be like, wow, this is the scene where this is that. And then it would be over in an hour. And then we'd be stuck in Baltimore. (laughs) To be fair. There's no Runaway Bride open top bus tour. (laughs) There certainly is not. Is there anything else you want to talk about with this silly movie? Nah. Um, I'm glad we finally got to the end of our memorabilia conversation, though. Because I did feel really bad about the Joan Didion thing. I felt very silly. I felt really mean. And, like, the worst part of myself was coming out the cynical, shitty part that I try and cure with this podcast. Well, thank you for saying that. (laughs) And luckily I didn't get the desk. So you don't have to be polite about it when you come around to my flat. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I had my doubts, but it looks really good there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Why do you? Why did you need the desk? Do you think? Why? Do so basically, I? prove me wrong. Um, I think oh, that's such a good question. I've actually never thought about why. I think I'm naturally um, a hoarder, so I have boxes and boxes. Do you remember mm. when you uh, house sitted my flat? Yeah. And you were looking for something. I think I needed my passport or something. I was probably having a poke around, to be honest. You were having a poke around. <laughs> and you said to me, I cannot believe how many cards you keep. Yeah, yeah. So every every single card that has meant something to me, every cinema ticket, every I, I keep everything. Um, I think I'm quite interested in this idea of what you may call capitalism. Um, the externalisation of essence or something like you know what does the things that I love the most how do I see them in front of me how do I externalize the the most precious parts of my soul that go beyond I like this dress or I like this food or whatever that feels like a very special thing for me and that feels like you know there's there's like I found out that um a musician lived in my old flat yes I was gonna bring this up actually yeah I'm not going to go into it now because you know what? There is a 5,000 word essay waiting to be written. <laughs> One day I will write. 
But an, a, a musician who I adored, yeah. I found out four years into living in my old flat in Camden that he lived and died there and lived there for 30 years. It mm. was a very, very strange time of my life that you remember very well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you said I was making you feel like... Like Joan Cusack. <laughs> You because, and this actually goes back to um, you. You know, we both identified Maggie Carpenter qualities in ourselves in this podcast, mm. and this goes back to you being a Maggie Carpenter of my life. Of like, yeah, you do see the world in a very magical way sometimes. That I can, I feel borderline envious of because um, all I, I, I'm not actually like that. <laughs> I'm just yeah. not, and I, and I've. I've done that. I've I've gone to like houses where people I admired lived, and I felt cold, you know. Um, and but like you, it's almost like you manifest these things. It's like you're you see the world, and you're very romantic and and magical person, and you just like you manifested this thing around you almost Aww. by virtue of being this way your whole life. It turned out the flat you lived in for like seven years or whatever. This person that you really admired lived there and it yeah. and you ended up having a relationship with the per- with with their partner and yeah. everything and you know I believe the essay to, to, to granta.com or wherever you sell it um but i remember both feeling Grant. like <laughs> grub street um i feel like it will be an american website Thanks, but babe. but i remember feeling simultaneously like oh couldn't it happen to a nicer girl like, like I'm so glad she's getting this little prize because she's been following, you know, little bits of memorabilia around the internet and around the yeah. world and going to... Let and I was living house. in a piece of memorabilia, basically. Yeah, yeah, and it was so beautiful. But at the same time, I did feel like the quirky best friend in the... <laughs> Because I felt like it was my cue every time you tell me a new update about like you talk to the ex girlfriend of of the musician who is now dead. I'd be like, "You're acting crazy. You don't even sound like yourself anymore." <laughs> no, is the who's the it was the best friend in serendipity. That's who. It was. Yeah, Sarah, you're acting crazy. <laughs> I really resented. <laughs> Will you go chase a bit of memorabilia? Find out who died in your flat. <laughs> You don't want to. It's no. you busy. I, remember I, I I found out when I was going through um my first big um Midford sisters obsession. Oh yeah, that I lived um one street away from where Jessica Midford. How did that make lived. you feel? When I saw it, when I found out, excited. Yeah, and I was like, and because like as well, that house is where you know her. She had been alienated from her family. They weren't speaking to her. She'd had um, a child. The child died of TB, like in this, all in this house. And I went round and I looked outside it and I felt nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, I, I waited to feel something that I don't think is just natural to me. Maybe it's a Taurus thing. I don't know. No, I think it's, I think it's like, um, I think it's just like a willingness to self mythologize, which, as we know, I'm prone. <laughs> I'm prone to do, but the so the, a lot of books. The, <laughs> the widow of that musician. Yeah, do you remember? I she came to the flat on my last n- night living there. Yeah, <laughs> again, so like I'm writing myth, self penned mythologies. It's like this is the reason why all this shit happened. It, I do stir it all up. You do stir it. You shake I get it all. all up. I get all whipped up in it. Yeah, carried away. And she gave me his lighter and yeah. she said, "I want your last cigarette in this flat." to be oh, lit wow. by him and that's now like my like that is two people who are really whipping themselves <laughs> we were that day absolutely in a frenzy of whipping <laughs> ourselves up we were veritable meringues by the end but she, that that lighter that belongs to him is like probably like probably my most precious thing in my is it just like a bic or <clears throat> totally normal oh right corner shop lighter oh. there we go so oh, yeah. that's the main difference between you and I and as differences go 
I don't think it's going to be the end of us. No, but it's interesting because <laughs> it's like, I, like um, I could, I've, I've realised now I could never write a memoir. Yeah, I uh, do not recommend it. No. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I really admire, it's like, it's like, I think there's, um, there's a cultural idea like, oh yeah, you just write down stuff that happens to you or whatever kind of thing. But it's like, it, it, it comes with a way of sort of, of seeing the world in a willingness. Oh yeah. That I, I don't have and I'm in awe of, you know, like. Yeah, totally. It's like you have to have willful blindness in certain areas and willful um, attention in others to be able to shape it into something that is satisfying. Yeah. But like, I think the thing is, this is so off topic, but when I when I zoom out, I'm like, oh, like two of the closest women in my life are both memoirists, mm. <laughs> like you and Ella. It's so interesting. So it's like, I get to appear in their work <laughs> as like a figment of their romantic lives, but I don't have to do it myself. It's nice. Yeah. Keep doing that. Okay. <laughs> I love you. I wish you could do this every week. Can Don't we? say that. They'll make us. I do, but I like. I just. I just like it. I do just like it. <laughs> <laughs> Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com